what time it is No matter where you've been So let's do it again Listen up and let the sun shine And we've got soul training Time to practice what you preach Soul training. Hey Daniel, how are you? Just right, brother. How I'm, about you? I'm doing good. Have you uh have you ever received a ticket for speeding? In my younger days, I, I have received a ticket for speeding, yeah. Yeah, and that's you know, and I have too that that's how we learn about the justice system sometimes early on. I have a retired state trooper friend of mine, he told me that one day that there was he was assigned, his his supervisor asked him to go to this isolated area but there were people who were speeding that they received a lot of calls it was a dangerous uh, point in the road and everybody was speeding so he went out there and he said he sat for about two two and a half three hours didn't see anything but a few deer and he said he waited and he waited you know and then finally there was one guy all of a sudden that just blew by him I mean blew his doors off and he thought that's the guy I've been looking for. He said, so I had my seatbelt on, turned my lights on, and I took off after him. He said, I finally caught up to him, and he said, I, after I secured my vehicle in the road and, and everything, did all through my procedures and everything, I went out. I got out of my car, ran up to the side of my other guy, and the guy was hanging out the window. And uh, I looked at him and said, you know, I've been waiting for you all day. And this guy <laughs> responded back to him and said, you know, I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> So the point is, is that I think that day the gentleman learned a little bit about justice, about the justice system that day. And when we tackle topics, you know, last time I think we talked, if we're doing things sequentially, um, we talked about heaven. We talked, to, if I remember correctly, and today we're going to talk about the topic, uh, the word, the phrase, the idea of hell from a spiritual standpoint and lots of times we don't think of of hell as as maybe justice sometimes the world has a different view of uh of that term uh so when what would you say that when i say the world i mean the general population of folks maybe how would they view uh that concept of, of hell how would you mean as far as uh the, the... you just brought the word up we just you know, stopped people on the side of a busy street, you know, with a microphone and said, hey, can you tell me what you think? Think about hell. Mm-hmm. I think most people just uh, had this this pop culture idea of hell that it's um, you know, this place with fire and brimstone and that they, they imagine Satan as being this guy with the... Pitchfork. The pitchfork, that's right, and the horns and the tail and all that stuff. There, like, there's actually a... a I just I've seen it twice uh, the last couple of days. There's and and I don't. I'll be honest with you. And I always try to stay super positive, but I just don't care for this commercial. I really don't. I, I've seen it uh, a couple of times uh, last couple of days over the weekend, and uh, that's that's the image. Mm-hmm. It, and it's a it's a it's a 2020 commercial. It's talking about 2020, and I forget what product they're advertising. I can't remember if it's a. A cell phone or something, but it's, so it's an effective advertisement. It is, I and I, you know, I really don't. It just doesn't a, a, appeal to me. But it's what you. It's exactly what you just described. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and, and you go, you go ahead. But it's what we would all the concept of 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 the devil of Satan, right? What he would look like, 
you know, red and horns and the tail and everything. Well, and I think that the the first thing that's wrong with the popular concept there is people imagine Satan as being the boss of hell, some kind of overlord. Like he's there, that's his territory. He's in charge of it. You know, sort of like the idea of of the in Greek mythology, Hades. You know, the the god of the underworld. Um, <clears throat> but that's that's not what the picture of hell that the Bible paints. Satan is not there to torture people. Satan is there suffering himself. It's hell and the abyss, that's that's where he's receiving his eternal punishment as well. It's not uh, uh, some sort of situation where he's he's there ordering all these little demons around as to how to torture everybody. Because he too, like you said, is, is uh, experiencing uh, eternal suffering and punishment. And of course, you know, we like to, uh, on, uh, with soul training, we like to have soul training because all souls are important. And, um, you know, most everybody has the big idea or the big question. I'm sure that on some level we've either thought this, or we've asked this question of, you know, how can a loving God, uh, just because you don't obey him all the time will for will torture you forever. How can a loving God allow someone to continue in that pain for e- eternity? And you know, for me, the, the from a biblical standpoint, you know, when we think about Scripture, we think about our guidebook, the Bible, the framework for everything. Uh, that's not. I think the world has that idea wrong as well. Because what is if you go to Scripture? Scripture tells us in First Timothy chapter two, beginning in verse four, just one sentence: "Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth?" Or if you go back to verse three, "For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth." So God doesn't want, does not desire, does not tempt, does not dangle us over certain situations to. Uh, so that we can just slip up or trip or, or even have the potential to, to go end up in hell when, when we die. Uh, as, as I prepared for this, our, our time together, I, I kind of liken it to a car, driving a car. Uh, you know, I think about if you've been on the on ma- mountainous roads or, or out in the rural areas where there's a drop-off, and you think about guardrails. Mm-hmm. You know, now with me, I get a lot of good advice from people who ride with me, a lot of great advice. You know, if I get... Backseat drivers, you know, front seat drivers. I get calls, you know, while I'm driving, you know. So I get lots of good advice. Well, if you get a, a lot of advice, maybe there's, maybe there's some, <laughs> something to be learned there. Yeah, well, I think they figured out that I'm coachable, <laughs> that I that I have a, a long, long fuse. Uh, but when I compare driving, I can't. No matter how good the road is or how aligned my vehicle is. It's, I cannot keep it perfect, perfectly, you know, six or eight inches from the yellow line on my left and six or eight inches from the white line on my right or the guardrail on my right. I'm just trying to go through each step of my road or my journey, trying to keep it, uh, you know, not go over the, don't go over the yellow line, do my best to stay, don't go over the white line. My point is, the illustration is, is that we're going to have some, uh, some bumps in the road. We're going to have some, we're going to weave a little bit and we're going to make some, some mistakes because we just are. Uh, but the idea is, is to remain faithful. You know, we can't remain perfect, but we remain faithful. So the point is, is that God doesn't want people to cross the yellow line and zap, zap you. Then you're, you're going to, you're eternally going to, you know, forever sentenced to, to hell. 
that the, the God doesn't want that. So I, I think even with what you talked about, the concept of just general publicly or speaking from a general standpoint, that uh, you know people think that God is is not love. Uh, he right. is love. He doesn't want us to uh, to end up in, in hell. He's telling us we have the His directions. So well, in this this doctrine of hell is a stumbling block for a lot of people in the modern world because they, they don't understand the um, the necessity of it. They don't understand some concepts that I think we're going to get into uh, as we go through this discussion. But they would imagine that God is being uh, petty. You know, just because you don't do one thing He says, and you do one thing different from what He wants, and fine, He's just going to in his wrath, condemn you to eternal suffering. Uh, the noted atheist uh, Bertrand Russell said it like this. He said, There is one very serious defect to my mind in Christ's moral character, and that is that he believed in hell. I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. And so you've got people like him and others that would, uh, would think that way, that I really struggle with with this idea. But something we need to consider as we think about the the doctrine of hell, though, is, and this honestly is something that I think people today uh, struggle a lot with in, in, in being able to differentiate, but saying is something true is not the same as saying, do I like it? Do I want it to be that way? Uh, you have those that would accuse uh, those of us that do believe in hell as a place of eternal punishment, uh, that would accuse us of being hateful as if we want people to be lost, like we want to condemn people to hell. What we want has nothing to do with it. It's what we believe uh, to be true, what we believe the the Bible teaches and what uh, we believe is, is the reality is an entirely separate question from how we might want things to be. And we want, uh, we as in Christians, and, um, is we want to introduce Christ to uh, to others. We don't want people to feel like that they can, they go through life and they make a mistake and there's no way out, there's no redemption, there's no uh, way that they can improve. You know, I, I, I gleaned, I like to use the word glean, not steal, but I gleaned a phrase from a curriculum that I used, uh, I continue to use, that simply says we can't change what's happened, but we can change what happens next. A lot of folks think that uh, that they've, well, I can't change anything. Well, Christ, that's not true. Christ died for all men, all humanity. So Christ provided a way for us to make that change. Um, I like something that you had shared uh, with Lee Stobel. hope I'm saying his name correctly, uh, S-T-O-B-E-E-L, along the lines with Mr. Russell, he says the doctrine, you're talking about a stumbling block now, uh, the idea of hell, stumbling block for some. Mr. Stubble says the doctrine seemed like cosmic overkill to me, an automatic and unappealable sentence to an eternity of torture and torment. It's mandatory sentencing taken to extreme. Step out of line with God, even a little bit, even inadvertently, and you're slapped with an endless prison sentence in a place that makes Leavenworth look like Disneyland. Now, to me, that's an extreme statement uh that's an extreme misunderstanding also that you know like we'd already established that god does not is is not just wanting us to waiting for us to slip or to mess up or anything like that i i guess i i over over relate sometimes so i think about parenting 
you know, that uh, with my two kids, I do not, my wife and I just, we don't sit around and just wait, you know, for the next hiccup or wait for the next accident or the next, you know, when our kids were smaller, you know, we just, we're not sitting on waiting for you to spill something so we can punish you, you know, so we don't want that. We don't, we want the best for you as parents and as God wants the best for us, but we choose, you know, we, we, we make a choice and, uh, you know, the, I've, the best way to love someone is to give them an opportunity to choose. You think about the most sincere love you've ever felt in your life has been unprovoked is, you know, and, and I think about all of us, you know, how unloving it would be for us to be, um, programmed every move programmed that that's, that's not, we're not making a choice. We're being programmed. So we got to make sure that we're choosing God because we don't want to have a life. We don't have eternity separated from God. <clears throat> well, that's um, my topo there, actually. His name is, is Strobel. I left Strobel, a, the okay. R uh, out of his name there. I apologize for right. that. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> but it was something that people need to understand about the, the necessity of hell is that it's, it's a great compliment uh, to mankind, that God gives us, he, he doesn't force us into his presence eternally. He doesn't force us to spend eternity with him. And we talked in our, our last podcast about how heaven is all about God. It, it, it's about God. He, he's the big attraction uh, to heaven, and he's not going to make you spend eternity there without your consent. You know, that that's an important thing. We understand uh, the, the idea of consent well, in hell, he provides a way that we can withdraw our consent. If we don't want to accept his terms and conditions, uh, we don't want to spend eternity with him, we want to do things our way, then he ultimately gives us the dignity and respect of, of honoring that decision. And he says, fine, I'll establish a place. I will isolate this place from my presence, and you can live eternity outside of my presence. You touched on something. You said, I like the phrase, you said necessity of, of hell. I go back to how we let off with um, a gentleman who wanted to speed, um, you know, faster than the deer were running on that particular day on this country road. And you, you think about all of us. If someone breaks into our house, we want justice, and we want it pretty quickly. Or someone does something to a family member, uh, uh, illegally or unlawfully, we want justice. But when we see those blue lights on us, we don't like, well, let's put that justice off just a little bit. I don't really want that. You know, I can remember in, in the nineties and I'm dating our technology a little bit, but in the, in the nineties, I became such a frequent, uh, member of traffic school because of, uh, feeling justice that I eventually became like I was on staff with, uh, with, with the instructor. I became his coffee maker. I would go down the hall in the courtroom at eight o'clock at night. We were all there and get him a Coke or you had a, I, I would run his, uh, what was the old, uh, you had the clicker. I had the clicker. Yes. That was my job. I was, did you have an assigned seat uh, up front with him? They're right there. I, I mean, after the sixth or seventh time, it just became, I knew the program and he liked me. So he gave me the clicker, and I. What was the old slide where the it was? It was like a circular, circular. And yeah, it, and, and you clicked it, and you, you clicked the it's slide. Slide projector, yeah. yeah the original slide. PowerPoint. It was the original PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So that was my job, and 
you know, unfortunately, it took several trips to, you know, the traffic school program or through the traffic school program to get me to understand justice. You know, don't be speeding. You know, they're stop means stop. Stop doesn't mean slow down and then go. You know, stop means stop. And so, you and know. full disclosure, I've been there too. It's uh, but apparently I learned my lesson because I only went once. Well, I liked it so much. I just, I just kept meeting all these wonderful people, and I, you know, I went home and uh, I, I told my mother because I wasn't married. And I said, you know, I think the teacher really likes me, so ended up uh, found a way to to get back. You know, persistence pays off, and uh, you know, there were a lot of folks who were helping me get back to traffic school, I'm glad and, they did. and I had to pay tuition too to be there. So I. You know, but I learned justice, but, you know, I would, really didn't want justice. But if someone, you know, endangered my family or, you know, you know, committed a crime against me, I'm ready for justice. So there's a necessity, you know, for the justice system. There's a necessity for, for hell, you know, for the choice, uh, for making that, that choice. You know, and I, I, before we move on, I did want to make the point that you had shared that Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God does despises hell um, as much as anyone because it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he doesn't want us there. He loves us. You know, that's the, you think about the the parenting relationship. We don't want our kids in trouble. We want them to understand justice, but we don't want them to be, in pain, and we don't want them to deal with suffering. But sometimes uh, that that has to happen in order to learn the lesson. Sometimes, so you know, I think that we—that's the conception of the the world, the big misconception that the world would would understand that uh, you know God is is a loving God, uh, such a loving God that He doesn't want us to be in hell. Such a loving God that He has provided us with a way to make sure that we choose the path that He wants us to be on, and not. Uh, spend eternity uh, in, in a place like hell. Well, that's something that's so unique about Christianity is our God is both a God of love and a God of justice. And that's it's very difficult uh, for a being to equally uh, be both. And that's what's so special about the substitutionary work that, that Jesus did for us, that um, that's if Jesus didn't come and receive the punishment that, that we were due, God wouldn't have been a, a God of justice. And we wouldn't want a God that wasn't a God of justice because there are times that we, we want justice. When you or your family have been hurt, you, you want justice for that. Uh, and like you were pointing out, um, when you have done something you shouldn't do, you're ready to hold back on that justice. But, uh, um, you know, as we think about justice, some people may feel like it's it's overkill. They, maybe they don't understand the significance of, of sin and, and how how great that is, but they think, well, if somebody's been basically good and they just didn't do a few things right, follow a few right doctrines, they slipped up here and there, but basically they're a good moral person, it just doesn't seem, feel like to, to a lot of people, like it's fair that they would suffer eternally in hell. I think there's some fundamental misunderstandings that, that lead them to feel that way. Um, you know, for example, they say, you know, why do you have to suffer so long? Eternity is a long time. 
Right. It's even it's a little bit of an oxymoron, I guess, to even describe it as a time. It's it's not a long time. It's just beyond time altogether. Um, but the length of a sentence has nothing to do with how long it takes to uh, commit the crime. You know, just like you know the the most significant uh, crime that a person can commit in under our justice system is murder. Is murder? That's right. How long does it take to commit a murder? Not long. Not long. It can be done pretty quickly. But what? How long does the penalty take? Typically, you know, there's life in jail uh, or... Court proceedings can go on for a while, too. They can go on for a while. That's right. And so you get, once you've committed that, that capital crime, then the rest of your existence is separated off from uh, humanity. Is, is kind of the, the idea. You're, you're behind bars or uh, if you're in a time and place where they do executions, then that happens, but you're separated. Well, that's, that's kind of what it is with hell, too, is it's just separation for the rest of your existence. Um, it just happens to be that we have eternal souls that our existence is going to go on uh, eternally. Um, <clears throat> but what's the... The capital crime, the biggest crime in God's sight. You know, when Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Right? So somebody asked Jesus, what's the number one rule? He, you know, we, we might say in our society, like you did a second ago, number one rule is don't kill people, don't commit murder. That's, that's, that's the, the biggest law. Jesus, what's the number one law? And he answered in verse 36, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. So the number one law, under, according to Jesus, his system, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That's a law I've broken sometimes. Have you broken that law? I have. If we've broken the number one law, then why shouldn't that carry a heavy sentence? If justice is going to be served. Uh, That's an interesting thought, too, is usually when you think of laws, you think of don't do, don't do. This law is do this, love. You have a command to take action. on. So that's an interesting thought to me. I hadn't really pondered before. So, yeah, yeah, if you're looking at it from that perspective, then we're all pretty significant lawbreakers, Um, and not just in in minor laws. We broke that big top law. which underscores our need for mercy. It underscores our need for Christ, because even good, decent people have fallen short of of that standard. Well, and when you think about falling short, I go back, I guess, to my my driving analogy. And driving's in my my mind today for some reason. But you know, as you're going around a curve or you're going through a, a road you're not familiar with, then you're going to weed just a little because you're not familiar with it. But the idea is is to not purposely get off the road or to bang into a guardrail or to cross the line. The per- the idea is is to keep making sure that you are are traveling in a way that uh, is safe, but from a humanity standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, you think about us, that it's important for us to make sure that we are striving to do, uh, you know, what's, commanded of us, but also to the best of our ability and to realize that that's why Christ came for us. You know, Daniel, you talked about, you know, making choices. And I think about the descriptions of in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and that's what I want to be a part of. I want to follow the one who's going to make sure that I have comfort and not torment, you know, for eternity. 
Um, and there was some, you had maybe a touch that shared something earlier uh, that I really like. Uh, like one big question sometimes that we deal with in terms of somebody wanting justice. Uh, why, you know, I was asked the question once, why, why doesn't God smite people, you know, or why doesn't God annihilate people or eliminate people, you know, and I like in, in the notes or in the content that people are just too valuable for that. You know, Christ died for all, not just for a few, not just for a few people who can keep it on the, the right road and not bang into the guardrail across the yellow line occasionally or speed, but Christ died for, for all humanity and that all humans have a soul, then that has an intrinsic, you know, value in and of itself. Um, that it's just not valuable for what it can do, but it is valuable because made in the image of God. Uh, even the maybe what we would deem as the worst of the worst uh, are still made in the image of God, uh, whether they're on death row or in the front row somewhere. It, you know, God. Uh, we're all made in the image of God. So we need to understand that, that uh, that's one of the purposes that we have as Christians is trying to, to let people know that, to share that, that, uh, you know, occasionally you're going to, you know, have a choice, which choice are you going to make? Because Christ died for you, me and everyone. So let's make sure that we're making the, the right choice to, to follow Christ and, and not the world. And, you know, that's not love, you know, just if God says, okay, you just do whatever you want to do, that's not love. You know, as parents, it's that's not love for us to say, okay, you can just go leave today, do whatever you want to do, you know, and that, that that's not love too. There's got to be some boundaries, you know, some, some fences metaphorically, so to speak. You know, you're talking about being made in the image of God, and that's such a fundamental Christian concept that we believe because everyone is created in the image of God, that there's intrinsic value that uh, a soul has, regardless of of how bad a person they may be, how mean or hateful they may be. Also, regardless of of how able that person may be, we are going to find value in uh, in somebody that has a very low quality of life because we see everyone is being created in the image of God. He has that that, that stamp of he, he's he's that eternal soul is so vital and so valuable. And God sees that value in each soul. And I believe that's why God doesn't annihilate people after the the wicked after they die he doesn't just cause them to cease to exist because they're they're too valuable for that. They may not even realize how valuable they are. But you just can't destroy the image of God. It, it would be, you know, like self-destruction uh, for Him. You can't do that. And so we're going to exist eternally because of that. It's just a matter of where we're going to exist. And I mentioned earlier the idea of us, of hell being eternal separation from the presence of God. I think that's that's a vital concept, too, because people want to know, why is hell so so bad why why does god have to and they imagine it like this nazi torture chamber kind of kind of concept at, where god's taking sadistic pleasure and and you suffering and that that's not it at all you have the idea that it's it's separation that's that's the first key concept here second thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 says in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know god and on those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ these shall be punished with everlasting destruction 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. All right, so they're going to be separated everlasting from His presence. Well, what's in God's presence? James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect thing is from above and comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So with the concept that everything good comes from God in one way or another. Everything in this life that is good is because there is some presence of God in this life, and and it's there that even the wicked get to enjoy some of that because of God's presence in, in this world. But if you were to totally isolate them from God's presence, you totally isolate them from the light, all you have is darkness. You totally isolate them from the source of all good, and all that's left is is wickedness and evil. If if um, pleasure is is a good thing, and I, I think the ability to enjoy pleasure is a good thing, even though that uh, you know leads to temptations. But that the enjoyment is is a good thing. Well, then the opposite there is is going to be pain. If if peace is a good thing, that's from God. Then anguish and anxiety, that's what's going to be there in hell. Everything not good is what's going to be there in hell because you're isolated, separated from the presence of God, the source of everything good. I think to kind of go on to compliment that hopefully is, you know, I guess I go back to how we're trying to change the concept, the the con the, change the idea of the concept of what, generally speaking, uh, you know, of what everybody's description is of God or idea of God or heaven or hell. But lots of times it goes back to, I guess, the the justice. We want justice when we want it. Or we want to put it. We want to put it off if we can. But we need to remember, I guess, to emphasize you know, what I'd like to emphasize is to make sure that that God is the height. Uh, if you've listed of all virtue, including love and compassion, but He's also the justice of morality, purity, uh, in relation to justice. So He is the the lawgiver. He's the creator. We're the created. And we get to choose which path we want to, to follow. We want to be with the, the, the prince of, the, of peace, not, uh, not go with the way of the world, so to speak. So that's why we do soul training, because all souls are important. And I want to close out uh, my portion here sharing this quote from J.P. Moreland. He says, we need to keep the right perspective through it all. Remember that hell will forever be a monument to human dignity and the value of human choice. It is a quarantine where God says two important things. I respect freedom of choice enough to where I won't coerce people, and I value my image bearers so much that I will not annihilate them. I think that summarizes well the, the doctrine of hell and its importance and essentiality. So, uh, dear listener, we thank you for being a part of uh, this show today. Remember that new episodes drop every other Friday, and we hope that you will uh, rate us. Give us a five-star rating review that helps other people find us. If you've got some comments, we want to hear from you. Uh, if you've got some questions that you'd like for us to s- discuss, we would appreciate that. Email us at soultrainingpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time. We've got soul training. Practice what you preach Ooh, yeah. Yes we do, we've got soul training To learn more, you can email us 
at soultrainingpodcast at gmail.com, or you can write to us, P.O. Box 503, Glasgow, Kentucky, 42142. That's Soul Training.